you got your Bible, you can grab it and turn to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. This is our second to last uh, sermon in this series, Psalms at Summer's End. The question that I was tr- I've been trying to answer through the Psalms is what would be some of the challenges that we can anticipate as we're heading into the fall when everything is kicking back into gear. Uh, we're getting back to school. We're, we're kind of getting back to work. We're getting back into a routine, if anything. And uh, what are some of those things that, that seem to kind of permeate this time of the year that would be good for us to remember and what, how do the Psalms help us remember those things? And so uh, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about thankfulness. Uh, psalm 138 is known as a, a thankfulness psalm. Uh, it was written by David. We don't know what's going through David's life um, and why he wrote this particular psalm. Um, what we do know about David as we look into the other psalms he wrote. And by the way, when we say psalm, uh, really what we're talking about is a song or a prayer. And what we know about David when we read his other psalms is that this is a guy that is constantly seems to be just drowning in challenges. He was a, he was a king over Israel and uh, his life was just filled, it seemed like, with all kinds of opportunities for anxiety and worry and enemies right at his doorstep, people trying to just see him be extinguished from the face of the earth, and problems with family, uh, problems with friends that were angry with him, that betrayed him, all the stuff that we can relate to, because that's a picture of all of our lives. So Psalm 138, we're going to see a moment in the life of David where he is thankful and he offers a song to the Lord uh, that is giving a, a sense of what it looks like for us in all of our stuff to be thankful to God. One of the defaults of human beings is that we are, we're just not born as naturally thankful people. It just doesn't, it's not intrinsic to us, right? I mean, you know, with few exceptions, we had, we had to be prompted and cajoled by our parents to remember to say thanks whenever we were given something. And that something usually had to be above and beyond the things that like they gave us just on a, on a daily, on a weekly basis, right? I don't remember how many times I received like a Christmas present or a birthday gift from a, a, a family member or a friend and my parents had to pull the classic, what do you say, right? Um, And then I remember how hard it was because for some reason there was always all this shame welling up in me. Saying thank you was was hard. It it felt so unnatural Um, so many times. I remember my dad blowing my mind one day when he said, you know how we tell you you're supposed to say thanks to people when they you know, give you a present or they give you a compliment. And I was like, yeah, like, where are you going with this, Pops? Um, but he basically kind of pulled the 80s version of well, actually on me. And, and he said, uh, well, when you think about it, you should be thanking me and mom every day because of all the things we do for you. Now, of course, it, it never occurred to me to, you know, to spend 10 minutes of every day before Bedtime, rattling off a list to my parents of all the things they did that I was thankful for, right? That would have never occurred to me. Um, You can judge me for that. Instead, my response, I remember when he said this to me, I remember my response inside. I don't know if I said it. I probably said it. But I remember my response was more like, but you're supposed to do those things, 
right? And now you know why I have so many issues, right, in my life. Um, but this is how we would define uh, thankfulness. And I'm sure you guys can all relate to that story in some way. But we would define thankfulness, hard definition, as a feeling uh, of uh, or a feeling or expressing gratitude is how we might define it. Being appreciative would be the Webster's kind of definition of thankfulness. Here's another way for us to redefine thankfulness in terms of what we see from Scripture and what we're going to see here from Psalm 138. And I would say it's this, an expression of the heart born from a person's identity that forms a way of living before God and others. Like you had to just make it more wordy, Ronnie, didn't you? You had to go longer. Let me just say it again. An expression of the heart born from a person's identity that forms a way of living before God and others. So this is what we know about thankfulness. Let me just, let me just move through this right from the top. It's not just good manners. Thankfulness is not just good manners. Growing up, it was kind of pitched to me like, man, you just say thanks when someone does something nice. It was more of, a, of, a, of an obligatory thing. It was a thing where it's like, I, I feel like I have to say that to kind of qualify the gift I've been given or to earn the compliment that was just given to me. But thankfulness is not just good manners. I, I mean, it, it is good manners, but it's not really just good manners. It's literally the way our lives are supposed to become shaped after Jesus Christ saves us from spiritual death. It's literally sort of the way our lives are supposed to be remolded and reformed. In fact, being saved by Jesus is how our hearts become uh, acquainted with gratitude, right? We, we, we begin to see gratitude as being something that's not just us being polite and, you know, kind of falling into polite society by always saying thanks and, you know, dotting our I's and crossing our T's when somebody does something nice. Again, I'm not knocking that. Um, but, but we begin to see it as being a little wider, right? Something, something that is intrinsic to us, something that's inside of us that's expanding and growing and wanting to come out, like needing to come out, right? It's a little bit different, right? As, as we mature as Christians, we, we begin to view everything that happens to us in our lives through this lens, which includes, by the way, both the good and, and the bad and the ugly things as well. More than asking us to say thank you, God is calling us to be thankful, to embody thankfulness, to have a heart that sees everything in your life as a gift of undeserved grace and kindness. It's a little bit of the heart that we see here with David. So let's pick up Psalm 138, verse 1. This is what it says. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart, before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. 
Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The Lord's word for us today. So here's a question that I want us to wrestle with as we unpack this for a few minutes this morning. And it's this. How do our lives become increasingly characterized and marked by by thankfulness? And I want to do that by looking into two big movements going on here. The first will be David's thankfulness to God. And then the second part will be God's faithfulness to David. So the first part as we look through verses 1 through 6 is David's thankfulness before the Lord. It begins by saying he gives thanks with his whole heart to God. He gives thanks with all of him to God. He doesn't keep anything back is what we see that David wants every square inch of his heart to be thankful to God. He wants it all to pour out. He wants to acknowledge. He wants to look around. He doesn't want to be so narrow. He doesn't doesn't want to lock himself in a box and fail to see everything around him that he can thank God for, right? So, So David is trying to go wide right here for us. He's trying to expand his view. He's hoping that his heart expands along with that view. There's, no, there's not this sense of which I do, which is, well, I, I am thankful for that, but, and then I have the long list of things that I wish were changed or fixed or different, right? That's not what we see David doing here. We see David actually falling in line with what would be the message of the, the Psalms as a whole, which we see the, in the, the final Psalm, Psalm 150, which is let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In other words, there's this sense that everything that is in us, we want it to be a walking testament to everything that God is. And that does something to us. Like when we widen our view the way that David has widened his view, it does something to us. We, we begin to see things through a different lens. We begin to see the the good things rightly. We begin to see the the hard things, the bad things rightly. We're we're changed. If we back up and like David, we say, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise, he says. And what he means by that is he's singing praises while being surrounded by all the things that threaten to take the place of God. You see that small g, God, there. Right? I sing your praise before the gods. He's surrounded by all of these gods and these idols and these things that would threaten to shrink his heart in thankfulness towards God. And when that happens, that means he's living a particular kind of life that God does not have for him or has for us. Right? Psalm 60, 96.5 says, For All the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Do you see how scripture is always trying to focus us out, right? We're so focused in, we get entrenched with things. And sometimes there's reason why we're entrenched. We live in a fallen world, right? A world that is permeated by sin. A world that we live in that is evidenced by wounds that we carry from people that have hurt us. Harm that has been done against us. Harm that we've done against others that we bear the guilt and the shame from. But David reminds us that 
God deserves our praises. The name of the Lord is the one that is being exalted above and beyond all these other things that threaten to crowd us out and that are vying for our worship. And so David focuses out for us and he reminds us of what thankfulness looks like at a baseline level, which is singing praises while being surrounded by things that threaten that praise. And then he bows down, it says, toward the temple. He bows down. He's, he's literally physically putting his body in a posture of worship before God. David declares to God things that are true about God. That's what we were just doing while we were singing. You know, that's why uh, Scott is so careful to pick the songs that he does is because we want to sing things about God that are true about God and true about us. That's why we sang, come ye sinner, right? Both of those things go hand in hand. But David wants to declare to God those things that are true about him, his loyal love, his unsurpassed faithfulness is what he sings. David remembers the times when he called out to the Lord and the Lord answered him by renewing his soul, by encouraging his soul. God is the source of David's strength is what David is saying. And then he is hopeful for the day when the nations will one day give thanks and sing of God's glory. He has this hope in his thankfulness that everything one day will coalesce and give thanks and praise to God. Now, he didn't see it in his time. Uh, we're not seeing it in our time. But one day, it will happen. How do we know that? Well, we learn that from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, when it says, by its light will the nations walk, by the light of the Lord. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So there is this moment one day when everybody is gathered together to give the praise that God is worthy of, to give the honor to God that he is worthy of, to thank him for all that he is worthy to be thanked for. David is anticipating this in his prayer. Man, it's such a wide prayer. It's such a wide prayer. David knew who deserved the praise for all that was praiseworthy. And look, we said this at the beginning. If you were to talk to David before he wrote this psalm, I'm sure he could share some of his hardships with you, right? I'm sure he could just lay out some of the junk that was going on in his life at that time. And if we want to know, we just go ahead and read some of the other psalms that he wrote to understand what was going on in a lot of of David's life. But what David wants to do in his thankfulness is he wants to highlight God's faithfulness, which is what happens when we go to verses 7 and 8. Though David walks in trouble, we learn from Psalm 23 when he said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And here he says, you have preserved me through it. Man, I got stuff. Like, I got junk that I've experienced. And it's had an effect on me. And some of it's undealt with. Right? But he said, you have preserved me even through that. It is 
absolutely not a stretch to say that you all are walking in the midst of something we would define as trouble right now, right? You might even be in a season of, of blessing, but there's still something in your life that suffers from some degree of brokenness. Sometimes the darkness just won't lift. And then sometimes it's the opposite way. Sometimes the sun is shining to the degree that it is casting blind spots everywhere. And you just think, you got, man, you got this all worked out and you're good. And God is there when you need him, but you're actually doing pretty well right now without him, right? Both of these things put us in a place of distance between us and God. And yet David reminds us that when we do finally hit those moments, and we do, when we can't ignore our pain anymore, and everybody else is becoming the recipient of our pain. David says, though I walk in the midst of this trouble. In other words, when you're in the midst of something, what are you doing? Like when you, when you dive in the pool, you're in the midst of what? You're in the midst of water. You, you can't be unwet when you're in the midst of, of the deep end of the swimming pool. David said, when I'm in the midst of this trouble, you are preserving me. You are keeping me protected and secure. My heart is still finding fulfillment in you. And then David says that, God, you have fulfilled your purpose in me. You have not forsaken your work. God has fulfilled and is fulfilling. He has fulfilled and he is fulfilling his purpose in David and his purpose in his church, in us, right? He has planted the garden and he is pruning it. He has built the house and he is maintaining it. He finishes what he begins. That meant something to David, right? That meant something to David, just like it means something to us, especially when we back up and we look at all of the disconnected areas in our life that don't feel finished. I mean, if we're honest, most of our lives resemble the inside of our garages, right? There's junk that we put there because we, we want to have the perception that the rest of our house is cleaner, and, and it is cleaner than that garage. But that garage is still part of the house. I don't know if you guys knew that. That garage is still the house. It's just not the part of the house that most people see. Right? So that's where we put the, that's where we put the stuff. But God has fulfilled his purpose in you. And he is not just had fulfilled it, but he has, he is fulfilling it, right? He's fulfilling it. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is dealing with our clean house and he's dealing with our cluttered, messy, please do not go in their garage that all of us have internally, right? That's the faithfulness of God. David is thankful, but he's only thankful because he can end his thankfulness song with reminding himself and anybody that would pray this and sing this, that God is faithful. 
So this serves as a model for us as we think about what does it mean to embody a thankful life? What does it mean to be a person that bends, that collapses, that defaults into thanksgiving? Now, let's qualify that. It doesn't mean that every tragedy in your life, you should stand up and go, yay, I'm thankful for that. I don't think we see anything in, in, in God's word that would commend us to do that, right? There are hard things in your life of which you will never be able to say, on one hand, I'm thankful that happened. But that you might be able to say as God grows you and heals you and comforts you and walks alongside of you, you can think, I may not be where I am today before the Lord had that horrific thing happened. And I don't want that horrific thing. And we wouldn't wish that horrific thing on anybody. And yet we can still say before the Lord that you have never stopped caring for me. You've never stopped loving me. You've never stopped comforting me. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we practice a thankful life? Here's three things. The first one is grumbling. No, we don't grumble to practice a thankful life. We need to beware of a grumbling life. We need to beware of grumbling. Um, in the book of Exodus, Moses told the children of Israel, he said, hey, your grumbling isn't against me, by the way. It's against God. You're actually angry at God. You don't like the way that your life is going, but I'm, I'm the guy, I'm the leader, I'm the target. So this is where you are projecting your anger. But the problem is, is that it's not just like, hey, I got a little angry yesterday. I got a little upset. This anger, David, uh, Moses is pointing out to us is something that goes much wider because it's targeted at God and his character. It's basically looking at God and it's saying, you don't know what you're doing. You're not giving me what I know is best for me. And I'm questioning you, but I'm going to take it out on Mo. Moses said, you guys have a grumbling problem. And it's not me that has identified it, but it's God. Because you're mad at God and you're grumbling really not against me, but against him. We experience that. Seasons of grumbling. I don't know. Hours of grumbling. A life of grumbling. I don't know. I kind of consider myself a uh, PhD in grumbling, you know. Most of the time, when I target my angst or my complaints against a person, it's not really about them. In the end, it's because I don't like the way God is dealing with me. And I think that there's a different way, there's a different method, there's a different plan, that if he would just ask, I would be happy to deliver to him. And what does he say to us? But the same thing he said to the Apostle Paul, which is what? Brother, my grace is sufficient for you. Man, it's hard to hear that. The Israelites were always focused on the wrong thing. Remember that? As they were making their exodus out of Egypt, 
They were always focused on the wrong thing. They had God right in the center of their midst. They had trouble. God was right there. And they're always focused on the other thing. It's like, yeah, we know God's there, but we're hungry and we'd like a little water. Again, reasonable. And God never failed to deliver those things to them. And yet they still grumbled and they still complained. Like we, we can be thankful for what we have even, but what happens when we don't have it? What happens when it gets taken away? We can be thankful for who we are in the world, you know, the, the, the role, the title, the position, the job, the place that we have. But what happens if we lose that and our identity goes down the drain with it? A Christian is a person who is slowly coming into a deeper understanding of who they are thankful to so that they have eyes to see what they are thankful for. We just flip it. We flip it. That's what the Israelites did. You know, we, we were here, how long were we here? About three months. And uh, Melissa had gone with our daughter and like done one of those rafting things down Mohican River. Is that what it was? So she comes back and she says, we got to do this. And I went, that sounds great. Let's do it. Um, so uh, we rafted down the river. Um, and it, man, it was dismal. I'm just not, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, which should have taken, I think an hour and a half took, what did it take? Five hours? Yeah. Because the flow of the river had slowed down. Um, it was like, man, that river, I, I knew the river was a real person that had something against me was how I think, you know? So I complained because I'm Ronnie Martin. And I complain, I write about complaining too. Um, but I complain because I actually had to use my arms to make progress. That's not what I was thinking was going to happen. I was envisioning this just cushy ride down the river, you know, with the breeze. It was not that at all. And yet the river still got me to my destination, right? But in my struggle, I, I learned some things. I learned some things, right? Well, first off, never to go rafting again. That was the, that was the big piece. Um, but really what happened was in that moment was it, it took away the, the beauty that we were surrounded by because we were still in this beautiful place going down this river. And in my discomfort and in my complaining, I missed something that spoke to something about the person of God, right? Grumbling is like an extinguisher, it extinguishes God's glory. It pulls us away from that which we were meant to see for our hearts to grow larger for the one whom has created it all. And it shrinks it all down and it, like a fire extinguisher, just puts out all of God's glory. That's the damaging effects of grumbling. And, you know, when we say grumbling, we're not talking about the way that David and some of the other psalmists complained before God. That's a different thing, right? When you are full of angst and anxiety and you go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me. How long am I going to live in this particular place? Help me. God wants us to be honest about the, those things. This is a lifestyle of the person who is only ever questioning, in a sense, the goodness of God based on the circumstances that they are experiencing. We've got to be aware of that. Secondly, we want to 
We want to beware of grumbling, but we also want to behold his purpose like David talks about here. Verse 8 is really important for us. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, it endures forever. That's an important verse for us. The purpose God would fulfill for David in the future is the purpose he has fulfilled for us now in the past. God did not forsake the work of his hands. He did not do it. David is, is pleading with him here, don't forsake the work of your hands. Don't do the things that you promised to do. Don't betray your character, David pleads to God. And God never does. God never forsakes the work of his hand. He would deliver David's generation all the way through to our generation and all the generations that come after us from the wrath of our greatest enemy, which is our sin against God. That's how God ultimately fulfilled his purpose and did not betray the work, forsake the work of his hand. Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, was sent to fulfill the purpose of God, which is to deliver you and deliver me from our darkness. God proved it. He proved his steadfast love endures forever because Jesus endured the cross to make God's love effective to us. For how long? Forever. For all eternity. Behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine, Psalm 33. God's love is described as steadfast so that we understand the quality and the consistency of it. Think of it kind of like Niagara Falls. When you go to Niagara, you don't, you don't see a lapse in the force of the falls. It's, it's relentless if you've ever been there. There's never a time when it lacks power, it feels like. But I'm not a geologist, but someday those falls could slow down. I don't know. Someday they could dry up. I know one of you guys are going to come up afterwards and go, actually, Ronnie, that's impossible. We've done the uh, research on that. Someday they could dry up. I'm just going to roll with that. Um, we have no idea what could happen for Niagara to someday become a memory. But that's not God's love. There's nothing from the outside governing it, like everything we do. It's not like my lawnmower that needs gas or it stops. It's not like my laptop that needs electricity or it stops. It's not like a human being that needs food and water or eventually it collapses and stops. God fulfills his purpose and that fills us with gratitude as we meditate on it. And then finally, we need to beware, we need to behold, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. How interesting that God gave us the gift of memory. It can sometimes feel like not so much a gift. But he gave us the gift of memory, the gift of recall. He didn't have to do that. But without memory, thankfulness would only be momentary, right? David's heart has become full because he keeps his mind full of the ways God has preserved his life and fulfilled his purpose. 
You know, you know, what, it's, you know what it's like? It's like David has, has stockpiled memories of God's love and faithfulness. He's like stockpiled those memories. And it was an act of faith for David to do that, by the way. Giving thanks with your whole heart, it's nothing short of an act of faith in God for all those seen and unseen things that are, that are just, that, that your life is made up of. So as we think about living the thankful life, it's about living with the awareness of, of the gospel, of the foundation of our life with Christ and meditating on it constantly. It's cultivating a wonder for the abundance of riches that are yours in Jesus Christ and that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, Ephesians 3. Look, if I have a friend who can loan me a million dollars, I'll never wonder whether they can spot me 20 bucks. I don't need to. Because their riches and their abundance and their generosity as my friend goes way above and beyond. And maybe that is so hard for you to process. Because maybe you think there's something in your life that you can't come back from. It was too great. It was too great of a sin. It's too great of a pain. It's created too heavy a shame. How can God not be angry, displeased, disappointed, and just utterly finished with me, you think? How could his love for me cover that much wickedness and neglect? We know that David had sins in his life that were great. And yet, because God is love and because God is faithful in remaining a loving God, David knew when he repented of his sins, God would remain who he was. And that's what David is thankful for here in the end. David is thankful for God being God. And if you only give thanks for something you can lose, then disappointment will be the only lasting characteristic of your life when you think about it. C.S. Lewis makes this famous quote. He said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. But if it's placed on a person who died in order to keep his promise, then you, you gain a heart that can embody thankfulness because it's become a part of your core identity. That's what's going on with David. That's what the Christian life can be represented of. Think of it like a child standing on a busy street and being just forcefully pulled from a vehicle that was inches away from collision and sudden death. This kid's heart is beating. His body is bruised from the act that it took to pull him from the car. He's shocked. He's scared. The car missed him by inches. But he's saved. And the only response he has is to bury his head into the chest of his parents. Why? Because he's been rescued from death. This is the kind of thankfulness David had. And this was hundreds of years before Christ. But this is gospel thankfulness, which is this, never forgetting the moment when we were rescued. We are thankful because of God. God is faithful because of God. Who else do you have that answers you and strengthens your soul like this? Who else do you have that preserves you through the midst of trouble? Who else fulfills their purpose 
in your life. It's through Jesus that God has preserved your life. It's through Jesus that God has fulfilled his purpose in you. He will not forsake the work of his hands. Because the good works he begins, he brings completion through Christ. Philippians 1. Jesus is the person who can give you the gift that keeps on giving. My parents gave me some nice gifts. My wife gives me some nice gifts. Jesus is a gift that has the stuff of eternity, the stuff of security, the stuff of forgiveness all wrapped up inside of it because it comes packaged with something that surpasses all other gifts, himself. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What's the result of that? Thankfully, uh, Paul told us, Philippians 4. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want to say at the end. What's so interesting about that verse is that the peace God has given us is linked to the thanks that we give him. The peace that God has for you in the midst of the trouble that you're in is linked to the thanksgiving that you pour out to him like we see from David in Psalm 138. Those things are intrinsically linked. Melissa and I had a conversation um, about a week ago and I was just full of trouble in my soul and uh, which happens a lot. Um, it's, the, it's how God has wired me. I'm an emotional guy. And um, I said, I, I'm so stressed about so many things. And so as she does so well in my life, she listens and we talk. And I said, you know, I don't know what to do other than can we just spend a few minutes just thanking God, just looking around, looking at each other, looking inside a little bit. Can we just spend some minutes thanking the Lord for him for what he's provided, for what he's doing, all the stuff that we can't figure out, that he has figured out, all the, all the confusing ways that he's, that, he's, that, he's, uh, that he's moved in our lives, but he's moving in our lives. Can we just start talking about this in the most mixed up, muddled, makes no sense way that we can? And we did, and it was a mess. And something started happening when we did that, which was I started feeling some peace well up within me, and so did she. Nothing's changed. Those stresses are there. Those anxieties are there. Those brokennesses are there. And yet we were brought back to being reminded that closer than those things to us is Christ in us. And it really helped. Harry Ironside made this quote. He said, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. So my prayer and my hope is that we focus out of our lives, the lives we're entrenched in, the things that we see that we don't have answers for, the hurt that we have experienced, and we give thanks to the Lord for being the Lord 
over our lives that has delivered us from the ultimate things so that we can have confidence and hope that the little things are caught up in that great deliverance of God for us, his church. Amen? Can I pray? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have hope. Lord, we thank you that as David prayed and sang through this song, Lord, that we would be reminded of your purpose for us, of your steadfast love for us, that we would have hearts today that would be drawn, that would bow down toward your temple, toward where you are and who you are and give thanks to your name. I pray that you would open your eyes to whatever it is in our life that is causing us to pull away from you, that is, that is maybe producing anger toward you, things in our life that we are wrestling with and, we're t- and our arms are tired and our legs are tired and our heart is tired, our mind is tired. Lord, help us in our tiredness and our wrestling. Lord, let us see you clearly for the grace that you've given us. Let us not be like an extinguisher of your glory, Lord, but renew our minds today, producing us thankful hearts so that we can have peace, so that we can be reminded of what joy is today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.